Hello, this is episode 295 in it. I am continuing my conversation with Jeremy Spencer, who is a builder, thermal performance assessor, and also co-owner at Positive Footprints. So this is actually part three of my interview with Jeremy. If you haven't listened to part one or part two, make sure that you head back to part one is in uh, episode 293. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 293. And then part two is in undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 294. Uh, So you'll learn in part two all about the whole of home rating scheme and what you need to know to achieve seven stars. Jeremy steps us through that in a lot of detail. In this episode, We're going to learn about how the size of your home may impact your star rating and what you need to know in this regard. And we'll also look at related changes in the code regarding thermal bridging, under slab insulation and ventilation. And then Jeremy's going to share with us some exciting news about the new venture that he and the founding members of Builders Declare have been working on. I know you're going to love to hear about that. And also what's happening with the Design Matters True Zero Carbon Challenge as well. I've got a transcript of this episode as well, plus loads of helpful links and resources to support you in learning more about this information, plus to find out you know, more about what we're discussing. And you can find all of that at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 295. So 295, if you want to grab the free downloadable transcript, that's the place to do it. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Let me take a minute just to first remind you about the incredible Jeremy Spencer. So he's a longtime builder, 
Thermal Performance Assessor and Co-Director with his wife, Chi Lu, at design and building company Positive Footprints, which is a multi-award winning construction company dedicated to making high-performance sustainable homes and renovations easy to achieve and affordable. And as an educator and in his many roles in industry organisations such as Design Matters and the Sustainable Builders Alliance, he is passionate about making low-carbon sustainable housing a mainstream reality in the residential sector. So let's jump into my conversation with Jeremy now for part three. Now, can you talk through with us how this change to the scheme and the whole of house rating is going to impact the small houses versus big houses? Because previously, I think that it's small houses have not necessarily been celebrated the way that they should through the way the energy efficiency modeling sort of worked. So what, what does this change mean for in terms of the actual house size itself? So um, like I said, when I originally looked at the pilot tools, uh, it was very clear the running costs. And as we know, small homes, small efficient homes are obviously going to use a lot less energy than a big efficient home of the same efficiency per square meter. And in the software itself, it still does break down the costs. Unfortunately, on the report, the, at least the report that I've seen so far, they've They've got the costs there, but they just give you a pie graph and they split up that pie graph into where the energy is going into which major appliance in the home, but they don't give you an overall total for the pie graph. So it does give you some idea, okay, this appliance is probably going to use more energy than this appliance of the total budget, but doesn't tell you what the, that predicted total budget is. I, I would probably be asking the thermal assessor just to uh, have a quick look at on the screen and, and see what they can tell you um, on, on that. The, the good thing, of, uh, one, one thing that it does give you though, on the assessment, it will give you how much carbon dioxide the house produces and it will give it for, uh, or is responsible for, let's say, because it's not produced necessarily at the house, it's produced in the power plant where you buy the electricity from. That's if you're on electricity. It is produced at the house if you're burning gas. No, I've lost my train of thought now. Giving that little <laughs> clarification. You were it talking was, through what what was at the bottom of the report in terms of the pie chart, and then in terms of oh, oh yes, yes, yep. yes, yes. Okay, so it gives you how much carbon dioxide your house is responsible for with solar, and also without solar. So um, it, it's quite it, if you compared a uh, a small house versus a big house, you'd be able to look at the uh, how much. Without just say let's take let's take the solar out of it, and you can straight away see well what am I how much carbon dioxide is the, this house versus this house. So there there is a a bit of comparison going on there, and like I said in the calculation engine, they do look at the size of the house when they're working out how much appliance load there is or how many showers are being taken. So small houses typically have fewer people and so they do get a benefit. So they're getting more benefit than they used to just with the, um, the house energy uh, rating, the star rating report. Now whole of house will give them a little bit more of a, of a leg up perhaps. Once we get into embodied carbon, that's when they'll they'll get a huge leg up or it will become immediately obvious what we already all know that yeah. homes obviously use less resources. I can imagine though, if you're a couple who are just two people living in a house that's quite large, then you'll be penalized because the modeling will be assuming that you, there might be four or five people living in that house and all of the energy use that comes with that. So it's going to be quite interesting to balance that, isn't it? 
that that's it and 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 that's the downside of a generic a tool that has to put in generic assumptions because they're trying to rate all homes against the same standard yeah and unfortunately um you can't fiddle with the with the knobs in that um in that part of it yeah no, it's really interesting to see. So, and I think that the more that homeowners dive into the data and understand how the modelling happens, the more then they'll have uh, knowledge that can help them make better decisions. So now there's been changes in the code in regards to thermal bridging uh, and also uh, ventilation and then in certain climates, under slab insulation. Can you just talk a little bit about that and just help homeowners understand a bit more? Let's start with one that I posted about not too long ago in Builders Declare, which was the underslab insulation. And this is just for Victoria. It's uh, not such an imminent uh, issue now that uh, it's been pushed back till next May is when uh, Victoria is bringing in, in the, the upgrades to the code. But in climate zones six, seven and eight, which are the cold climate zones and Victoria um, is typically five, uh, sorry, six or seven. So it covers a lot of Victoria. If you're building a waffle slab, and by the way, um, there are obviously other states that have the same climate zones, but only Victoria uh, at the moment have signed up to this part of the code, I believe. Uh, if you're not building a waffle slab, and most slab on grounds in Victoria are in fact waffle slabs, but if you're not building a waffle slab, you have to buy the code. And this is beyond the energy rating, not really to do with the energy ratings, deemed to satisfy requirement. You have to put insulation under the slab to a level of R0.64 that just happens to be almost exactly the same as what the waffle slab insulation works out to. <laughs> it's convenient, <laughs> and, isn't it? <laughs> and you also have to put on um, R0.64 slab edge insulation as well. Now, if you're doing a waffle slab, for some reason, they don't require you to put on slab in edge insulation. But if you're really? doing a raft slab, uh, you are required, you will be required to do it unless this uh, this rule changes. I, I've got a lot of clarifications that that I'm requesting being made about <laughs> this imagine. particular rule. It's <laughs> an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> it well, it's it's uh, it it needs a lot of detail for builders because builders need to know how to actually build this, mm. and it's it's talking about um, an R zero point six four, which is only narrow. That's only like twenty mil of insula of polystyrene insulation. But does that go completely under the slab? Engineers don't necessarily like it always going completely underneath the slab because they want the concrete to go down to founding depth and they don't want something compressible in between. Uh, okay, so if it doesn't complete, if it's allowed to miss the, those uh, founding beam areas and just sort of sit on the, on, on the slab pads on, on your raft slab, well, now it's intermittent insulation and you've got thermal bridging. So if you have to maintain a consistent R0.64, that insulation that sits on top of the slab needs to be very thick <laughs> to actually <laughs> achieve it. In fact, it needs to get to sort of waffle pods sort of thickness. <laughs> and, and you end up, oh, I might as well do a waffle yeah, pod. <laughs> yeah, I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think this is the one gift they gave back project home builders or something like that? Look, in all of I, this? I, I think I think this is maybe. I think this is, I, I think it's come from a, I, I don't know the history behind it. So I might be completely wrong, but I think it's come from a good place in that it's recognized that in cooler climates uh, in winter, 
it's good to have a bit of insulation under the slab just because the sunlight's coming into your home, great. It's falling on a concrete slab. If you've got a concrete slab, great. But concrete is quite conductive. And if your soil temperature is quite cool, it can leach away reasonably quickly. So a little bit of insulation in that, in that instance slows it down and, and uh, keeps it within the house for longer. So yeah, that, that can be a good thing. Also, CSIRO brought out, uh, or post about a year ago now, saying that if you've got moisture under the slab, if you have um, groundwater, even five metres below, that affects the moisture levels of the soil. And so you will actually lose heat out of your slab a lot quicker and it can have half, enough, half a star effect um, on your home. So again, a bit of insulation is a, is a good idea in between. So I, I think that's sort of where it's come out from. But like many things in the code, they say something, but they don't give enough detailed specification showing you nice pictures of how to implement and it's uh, almost like you need the national construction code and then you need like a diagrammatic how to execute the national construction code book that goes yeah, with it so yeah yeah <laughs> well they, they used to have uh, something similar for design and the minister's guidelines that sort of give you a bit more idea of how to you know how to implement the the res code back in mm. the old days but um yeah yep. something like that would be good uh, um, thermal bridging and ventilation yeah yep. yeah okay um ventilation on the the well thermal bridging i guess since we're talking about heat flow it was recognized uh, well it's been recognized for a long time that that nathurs uh does not include thermal bridging and that thermal bridging can be uh have a big effect on the star rating particularly um in the case of steel frames versus timber frames and steel is around about a thousand times more conductive than softwood 500 times more conductive than hardwood. So it's a very conductive thing. And now if you've got a plasterboard directly on the inside of a steel frame and you've got your cladding direct fix on the outside of the steel frame, if you put insulation in between, that insulation will, will, you know, will work, but the heat will flow around the outside and you'll get lots of um, thermal bridging and potentially you'll get cold lines on your, on your walls and, and maybe even condensation forming um, where the plasterwork is touching the the steel uh, and so this can actually change the the rating they they did some testing on this uh, nat has modeled it. it it can it can decrease the actual performance versus the the on paper rating by 0.7 to 1.2 stars so a reasonable you know a reasonable amount and so in the code uh there's been for a while a requirement for steel frames to have uh R0.2 insulation stuck on the outside of them, which is either a 12 mil polystyrene or a 20 millimeter timber batten. Both of those will have R0.2. Um, but the NATO software now has a, a new module that is added all about thermal bridging. And the idea here is to take it that you also get thermal bridging through timber, right? All materials thermal bridge to a certain extent. And unless you just built your house with just the one insulation material, then you'd get, you know, it would all be consistent. But when you got different materials in the house, they all have slightly different insulation levels. You will get thermal bridging. And timber, even though it's quite a good resistor, as well as compared to steel, compared to your insulation, it's it's not as good. So your insulation bat might be R2.5. Timber, a 90 millimeter timber is 0.9, R.9. You get 0.1 for every 10 millimeters of timber. Um, as far as an R rating goes. So what they've decided in their wisdom is to um, 
work in this in this software module so that it it you do what is necessary to bring the home up to the same performance as timber frame so that it sort of just keeps them comparable but it hasn't also gone the next step and said okay we want to do something about the thermal bridging through timber frame it's just trying to equate um, steel and timber because steel was a particular issue that the building code was aware of yeah gotcha and, so that's um, sort of where that is you are just a steel trap for data the way you can remember <laughs> numbers and things like that it's always blows my mind <laughs> in terms of the ventilation yeah so this is a little bit bit, bit of a tricky one I'm, I'm i'm still getting my head around what i'm going to do but Come May next year, uh, if you are in climate zones six, seven, and eight against the cold zones, what they're worried about is condensation. And the, the, the worry is that condensation through standard construction can make its way through holes in light fittings and things. Sorry, condensation. Moisture inside your house when you're breathing, you're showering, you're cooking, it builds up moisture inside the house. That moisture can make its way to the roof space. And at some stage, it's going to meet a cold surface eventually, um, or a cooler surface, condense down uh, as, it, as, as the air gets cool, the water condenses out of it and can cause dripping and potential mold and issues and rot in your roof. And so they're wanting to provide enough ventilation. So you've got an air pathway to hopefully carry that um, moist humid air away before it condenses out and if you've got you know you've got a, some moving air it can do that if there's no moving air then it doesn't really matter even if you've got holes on both sides uh, if the conditions are all still outside and, uh, and you, you do get a little bit of um, siphoning with um, with the just the stack effect but I won't go into that but the rule is what, what they're wanting you to do is they're wanting you to put vents along the eaves and vents along the ridge and to have a pathway for air to travel from the ridge across the top of the insulation and then, then out. Now, it needs to be under, if you're going to put foil on your roof, it needs to be on the underside of the foil because the foil stops any moist air continuing on. So there's no point putting ventilation above the foil. So if you're using, say, a foil back blanket, the, in, the this ventilation pathway would go in your eave, up through your attic space, if you've got an attic space, up to the ridge, and then it would go out at the ridge. Um, or you can follow the, um, the typical sort of passive house idea of not using foil, using a breathable membrane over the top and a breathable membrane will usually let the moist air come through and then uh, in that case you would typically have have a breeze path above the rafter uh, you'd have a rafter you'd have a counter batten that runs along the same line as the rafter and then your roof battens running perpendicular over the top of that and it just allows a 20 millimeter gap um, for that air to uh, air to flow in and out the trick is that you need a lot of ventilation by the code and it can be as much as a 25 millimeter gap running the whole way down the eave and the whole way along the ridge. Wow. Yeah. Which is um, now it, it doesn't have to be running the whole, it, it can be say the same area, but in say circles between each rafter, which would look really weird. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah. So it, anyway, it's, it's what they call 25,000 millimeters per meter. That's how much you need. And that is 25 millimeters high by one meter long gives you that 25,000 millimeters. And right. every meter you have to have the same amount. Uh, now, if you if you have a steeper pitch roof, you you can get away with a little bit less because this stack effect that I was talking of, hot air wants to rise, so it does suction its way through a, a little bit more. But at the moment, there's again, there's no real detail as to how how to for builders to achieve this. I've been talking with with my guys at the moment, um, putting in like a flywire mesh all the way down along the eaves where we're going to need to cut the eave sheet. We're going to need to block on either side of that to, to support it and hold it. And that's all the way around the house. Then you go to the top and there are, they're starting to come out with, with products for the ridge cap that allow air to come out, but close off, close it off with sort of a fly mesh um, to stop little critters and things coming in but it's not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got my, my plumber to quote on it uh, for the last job was another $11,000 to put in this uh, special ridge capping over Ooh. the house. Yeah. Not, uh, not cheap. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be other solutions coming out, but um, that's one for builders to maybe start to look at the code and to think about how they're going to apply it. The other thing that's going to be really tricky. And again, the national construction code doesn't give any direction what if you've got a box gutter going to a box gutter, you know, that sort of <laughs> classic, very low pitch roof. Uh, how do you get your, your ventilation pathways in there? So yeah, um, some yep, that's going to be really interesting to see how that gets flagged out. So I think for homeowners whose um, brains might be spinning at the moment, it's uh, a case of just really uh, opening the conversation with your team to know that this is being even that this is even on their radar, let alone the fact that they're trying to work out solutions to it because the risk lives in the the professional team's ability to execute it according to the code. And so um, they need to actually understand that, you know, as a homeowner, you need to know that they're looking at the code, that they're understanding these changes have occurred and and what they're doing to kind of try and upskill themselves on it. Because I can imagine that there's lots of builders out there who aren't even aware that that change exists. So, Yeah. And look, that's one of the reasons that, that things were delayed in Victoria. There's just a lot of uncertainty around a number of things that are coming in. It's sort of a bit of an overload for people. I'm I'm just hopeful that, well, I, what I don't want to see is come next May, all the same arguments get pulled out again to, to push it back, you know, instead of actually dealing with it and thinking about it and sorting it out. Um, just kicking the can down the road, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned the Choose Zero Carbon Challenge earlier. Uh, you are working with Melbourne University and you've created a tool to work with uh, their EPIC database for the competition. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what's involved? And because it's, it's really exciting. It is uh, very exciting. Yeah. Um, and actually, I hope one of these days, uh, just to mention Builders Declare Again, Sustainable Builders Alliance, we're bringing out a website, the Sustainable Builders Alliance website eventually this tool is going to get on there. So what what uh, what happened? Uh, well, this year we decided to, um, I was given the task, in fact, of finding uh, an embodied carbon calculator that that is works really well, worked well for residential. So the one we used last year was great, but it was more of a commercial focus. And I, I looked around, there are some what out there. did you use there, last year? Uh, the footprint calculator. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I recommend, you know, the footprint calculator, it's a robust tool, but um, 
yeah, you just need to, uh, if, if you're doing a residential home, it's not that easy to sort of set up for big sky rises and, and that sort of thing. Oh, that's what I found. I was given the task and I looked through all the tools that are available in, in Australia and I couldn't find any that were, I, that were complete enough to give an, a full enough score. A lot of them sort of dumbed down certain things or, or included some things, but not others. I looked here and I looked over in uh, New Zealand as well. And I kept coming back to the free EPIC database tool that Melbourne University put out. And the, the only issue with this tool, it's, got, it's fantastic, but it just gives things like, you know, how much carbon is in a kilogram of brick. And while, that, while that's great, it's not immediately easy to interact with it from a construction point of view. There's a lot of sums that you have to work out and not many people are going to do that. Anyway, um, wondering what I would do because the, uh, the deadline for the start of this competition was coming out. <laughs> I went for a run as I often do to clear my head. <laughs> and, uh, and as luck would have it, the hound, the hound from hell found me and uh, I got attacked by a dog. Oh, and really? The dog jumped up and it bit my, uh, bit my bicep. And yeah. before I knew it, I had blood streaming down my arm and I found myself uh, having to go to the hospital for a tetanus shot. And they said, oh no, that's not good enough. You're going to have to go to hospital and be checked out by surgeons. Wow. I, I didn't know that dog bites were so terrible. So I was in the hospital for two days, feeling pretty good. They'd strapped it up, but just waiting around. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you you call your, your beautiful wife to bring in your computer and you open up Excel and create a spreadsheet that works with the Epic database. I love and, it. The universe heard you saying, yeah, I need yeah. to find a tool. And so so. it sent you a dog to so. flatten you on a, on, a, on a bed for two days so you could work it out yourself. That's right. <laughs> And all of a sudden in my busy lifestyle, I suddenly had time. Yeah, that's right. So, so uh, yeah, now I've got a tool. And the difference is that this interface, if you like it, it uses all the, all the data from the Epic, da from the Epic database, um, but it just creates assemblies. So it would be one square meter of brick veneer wall, one square meter of plasterboard. Oh, wow. And you can, you can put in different types of insulation. It's very flexible. You just swap things in, in and out of the assembly. Tilt up panel, AAC, veneer, anything I could think of, screw piles, um, uh, strip footings, um, slab footings, everything. So it's being test run this year in the True Zero Carbon Challenge. And uh, so the entrance there... Um, we've created some training modules in that and they will hopefully find any bugs in it or if there's any other materials that need to be put in. Uh, Robert Crawford, who's the uh, one of the, the, the lead creator of the EPIC database, is, is working with us. So that'll be his job to, um, if there are any tricky materials, to work out the coefficients, uh, the carbon coefficients for those. And uh, hopefully at the end of the year, we'll have a tool that's reasonably robust that, um, you know, anyone can potentially use as long, like I'm, you do, it, it, is, it isn't, you know, I'm not a computer um, whiz. I, I am okay at Excel because I have been costing up homes for a long time and I know how to do copy and paste. So if you can do copy and paste in Excel, you'll be able to use this spreadsheet <laughs> Yeah. It sounds fantastic. Oh, I can't wait to be able to have a, a play with it. So yeah, let us know um, when that's obviously Sustainable Builders Alliance will be able to include that on the website. And I was chatting to 
Brian Guinan yesterday about um, Sustainable Builders Alliance and sort of the timelines and things like that. So really looking forward to being able to share that with the undercover architect community when you guys have the website up and running. So super, was- super exciting our end. And yes, a, a, um, a cadre of um, sustainable builders have been putting this together and, and putting their effort into it. So yes, it'll be hitting the, uh, well, hitting the internet soon, I guess. <laughs> And you were talking also about your net zero home course um, that you did with Design Matters National and the South Australian government. So that's that's actually available now for people to be able to access, is it? Yes, yes, it is. Oh, I should just say, uh, just to, to finish with the True Zero Carbon oh, yep. um, Challenge, the True Zero Carbon Challenge is still taking entries. One, one of the problems um, with the challenge, we really want the assessors to use the new tools this year. So, and the tools were supposed to be out in May. Now it's looking like September. So we've sort of extended things and we're probably going to um, relaunch it a little bit later because from our association's point of view, we we want our members to start using and working and experimenting with these, uh, with these tools. So if you haven't entered yet, um, there's still time. There's prize money. Anyone who does actually complete the challenge, you get like a little digital logo that you can use in in your marketing to show that you have the wherewithal and you understand um, how to create a net zero home. So yeah, it's a good little um, bit of um, marketing to have to set you apart from your peers, (laughs) put it that way. (laughs) Uh, Now the, uh, yes, the last one, yes, the the net zero build net zero home builders course, which, uh, as I said, I, I don't use any highfalutin words in it. So uh, it, anyone should be able to access this. There's a lot of design content. It's got five modules. The first one, as, a, as I said before, is high performance design and the rules of passive solid design, how to ace seven stars really is what that one's about. The second one uh, looks at how to build to perform on the ground to your NATHERS rating and what you need to do. It also discusses that checklist and goes through all the points of that uh, of that checklist so that builders can understand what each one of the steps means. The third module looks at risks that can be associated with um, high-performance construction around indoor air quality and condensation and owner expectation. The fourth module looks at appliances and how to specify energy efficient appliances. And the last module looks at embodied carbon, gives you uh, embodied carbon 101. So you understand all that, but also what the tools are out there if you want to calculate it and then potentially how you would offset that if you want to go full hog into a true zero carbon uh, house. So um, yes, I will leave the contact details with you um emily that sounds amazing uh, what an incredible resource i hope so i put a lot of uh, blood and sweat into that uh, particular resource do you sleep (laughs) (laughs) you fit this all in (laughs) just yeah that'll be an amazing resource for for everyone to access so definitely look forward to being able to share that with the undercover architect community because i know homeowners would very happily watch through the building modules as well to see okay how am i going to know how am I going to help? How am I going to communicate what I want to my builder? And how am I going to, how am I going to know that they're actually doing it? So that will be really fantastic. And so before we wrap up, I just wanted to, um, we, we talked a little bit about Sustainable Builders Alliance. So Brian's interview is going to be later in the season about the National Construction Code. So you 
get the opportunity to tell listeners a little bit about the Sustainable Builders Alliance and the incredible website that you're pulling together and what it's going to mean for the industry and for uh, for anybody basically who wants to access this resource online. Because you as the person behind the Builders Declare uh, social media account and the amount of education that you put out on that is incredible. I was saying to Brian yesterday, if the website is, I can just see the website being that on steroids. So <laughs> in terms of how it's going to work. So you just want to tell us before we wrap up. Thank just a you. Bit Thank you that. very much for the opportunity. Yes. The website is, if, if you've seen our, our Facebook or our Instagram, it's basically getting a lot of that information, but just ordering it in a logical sequence to put in what, what we're calling it is, is a roadmap to net zero home. So if, if you want to have a net zero home, it'll have all the information there of, of, of the practical information, what you actually have to do. So yeah, that's, that's what is coming in the website. It's also the, the hub for all of our webinars and our podcasts and events that are going to be coming up and how to get in contact with us. We're hopefully also going to have a how to sheets on there you know how to do a building wrap to a window connection or you know how to re remove a chimney or um, how to uh, block up the air vent uh, at the top of a wall and you know and why should you and when you should and that sort of thing uh, so simple information uh, that you can download off there now the uh, I, I think your the, your listeners probably understand who builders declare are but what we're trying to do is close the gap in the industry. We've got architects and designers who have over the last, well, forever really have been talking about building design, some more than, other, more than others, but at least they've had the education and the exposure to high performance. The building end is, is the it, builders go through a course and they're never really taught. In, in, in a standard course, they're never taught how to actually comply with NATHERS and what you actually have to do to build a house that is actually going to perform to its rating. And that's where we've come out from. And we've seen a niche of information that's needed in the industry and some sustainable builders got together and we're all sharing things. You know, it's not, it's not just me. I'm, I'm learning a lot from, from my passive house friends. Some of them are passive house, some of us are passive solar. And, uh, you know, I, I take the, uh, the position that you should always just grab information that is correct, you know, that, that you like, that works and, and put it together. So I don't have any, you know, strong position. I, I sort of, the, the romantic in me sort of goes to the passive solar side, the perfectionist in me sort of heads towards the <laughs> passive house of how, how they put things together, you know, so there's, there's, there's a bit to, uh, to learn there. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we're trying to uh, trying to do is to broaden that information because the last thing that we want is a system that of of high performance that just falls in a heap because no one knows how to actually implement it in reality. And at the end of the day, it's the builders who actually make this stuff come off the paper and become three D. What I love about the collective of you is that there appears to be a great ability for you to all collaborate that it's not because uh, I see that in the sustainable field it can be a bit passive solar versus passive house and for homeowners sitting on the outside that can then feel a bit overwhelming that they have to choose and all of a sudden it sort of just it feels too hard and and instead with the group of the founding members you have this fantastic ability to uh, learn from each other 
and be able to still sit in where you want to work. And I see that the Sustainable Builders Alliance is actually going to be a platform that will bring that together from a technology uh, and construction methodology and um, a knowledge point of view that will mean that people don't have to feel like they have to choose. They can actually go there and see, okay, this is actually just about achieving a really fantastic home that's built beyond the codes and that uh, will give us the results that we're we feel that our money, we're investing our money and we want to achieve and present it in such a can, an open and, and um, generous way that I think is just going to be amazing for like, I, I just, I, I can't wait till this website's live and, and um, this information's in a really accessible format because there is so much knowledge on your social media. And yet it is, it's like, it's to, and then the, like you said, in the podcast and in the web in the webinars to be able to galvanize all of that together is just going to be really incredible. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, Jeremy, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, you, again, you've just shared such fantastic information, great detail, uh, and really actionable knowledge for the listening audience. It's uh, a really, really special to have you here again. And I'm super grateful for your time, your wisdom, and just everything that you do and how you show up in the industry to really improve it and improve the outcome for everyone involved. So thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you, Amelia. I'm right back at you with all of that. <laughs> and that's it for part three and the last episode in my conversation with Jeremy. Oh, look, I want to say a massive thank you to Jeremy, not only for what he shared here, but for the tireless work he does in educating homeowners and industry professionals to achieve better quality, more energy efficient and more sustainable outcomes in their future homes. I, I do often wonder when Jeremy sleeps, given how much he does. You know, we really are so fortunate to have him share his wisdom and his knowledge with us. So generally, I don't know where he stores it. I was watching him during my conversation with him. He closes his eyes at points and it's like he's pulling it from these reserves in his brain. It's just incredible. You know, it's a, his mind's just a steel trap for all of this stuff. So I'm so glad he was able to be part of this series in the National Construction Code 2022 updates and uh, you know for you to be able to learn more in such actionable ways what you're going to need to know to be able to tackle some of this in your project. Now the Sustainable Builders Alliance website that Jeremy mentioned it is now live okay and it's so full of amazing information uh, especially with its roadmap to a zero carbon home so it's definitely worth you checking that out. It's it is aimed at builders and industry in general but it's still going to be super helpful for you as homeowners and I know that you know, the undercover architect community, you're, you, you are, you're savvy, you are super savvy and informed and switched on about this stuff. So uh, I, I highly recommend that you check it out and that you definitely point your professional team to it as a resource as well. I've got a few reminders for you, of course, before we finish up. You can grab a transcript of this episode for free as a download, loads of links and helpful extra information. All of that's available for you at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 295. That's the numbers 295. And if you are a like-minded industry professional in whatever capacity you help homeowners build or renovate their homes and you feel like you'd like to be in more contact with the Undercover Architect community, I would love to hear from you. Uh, I am building an army of professionals, of builders, of suppliers, of specialist consultants who I know will take care of the Undercover Architect community and who resonate with what we teach here at Undercover Architect. Find out more about the UA Army. It's free to join and you can find all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. If you're a homeowner who you, is working with a professional or industry, uh, you know, uh, builder or uh, 
uh, you know, somebody that you found and have crossed paths with, a supplier, a specialist consultant, uh, and they don't know about the UA Army, please point them in that direction as well. And of course, I can't let finish up without mentioning Home Method, which is my flagship online program. It really is the place to understand and learn the step-by-step process to creating a fantastic home that works for you and feeling more confident whilst you do it. You can uh, join in a community of homeowners who are on a similar journey to you. You can also access my personalized support and guidance in our regular Q&A sessions. It really is a fantastic way to feel empowered and in control in your project journey. Uh, All of that can be found at homemethod.com.au where I take you through all of the things that includes Plus, uh, if you head straight to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see it on the menu there as well. Plus, you can see member stories, see what others thought about it, see how it's helped them in their projects as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.